Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. What up, Vineyard? Hey, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first Sunday... Dude, we're happy to have you. But we want to begin like this. He is risen. Well, yeah, wait, yeah, look, wait, wait. All right, look. The, the cheering and laughter, yes. I'm going to say he is risen. And then your part is to say he is risen indeed. All right? So let's just practice this. We're getting just a little bit liturgical this morning. Let's go over this again. He is risen. All right, for muscle memory's sake, let's do it again. All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Now I want to read you a little something to provide a little context for what we're going to do next. This is a book. It's called Surprised by Hope. It's written by N.T. Wright. Every single person who's here should read this. It'll be heavy sledding for the first hundred pages and then it grabs your heart. Okay. The reason I want to read, I'm going to read a little passage out of here because it provides the context for what we're going to do right here, but it also provides the context for why does Pastor Adam open up champagne every single Easter sermon and drink some? This is why. Because the theologian N.T. Wright says you should. (laughs) This is what he says. He says, if Lent is a time to give things up, and in some more liturgical forms of the church, Lent is that that period right before Easter when we, we give things up. We give things up. He says, if Lent is a time to give things up, then Easter ought to be a time to take things up. Champagne for breakfast again. Well, of course. N.T. Wright says this. He says, Christian holiness was never meant to merely be negative. Of course you have to weed the garden from time to time. Sometimes the ground ivy may need serious digging before you get it in and out. That's Lent for you. But you don't want to simply turn the garden back into a neat bed of blank earth. Easter is a time to sow new seeds and to plant out a few cuttings. If Calvary means death to things in your life that need killing off, if you are to flourish as a Christian, as a truly human being, then Easter should be planting, watering, training up things in your life, personal and corporate. That ought to be blossoming, filling the garden with color and perfume, and in due course, bearing fruit. The 40 days... Of the Easter season until the ascension ought to be a time to balance out Lent by taking something up, starting some new venture, some new venture, something wholesome and fruitful and outgoing and self-giving. You may be able to only do it for six weeks, just as you were only able to do that with Lent. But if you really make a start on it, it might give you a sniff of new possibilities, new hopes, new ventures, things you never dreamed of. It might bring something of Easter into your innermost life, and it might help to wake you up to a whole new way of being. That's what Easter is about to begin with. Amen? I mean, if the Lord Jesus got up, out of the ground, and if he lives forevermore, and if that means eventually you and I are going to get up out of the ground and we're going to live forevermore, shouldn't there be a champagne bubble or two associated with that? I mean, we drink this stuff at weddings, and we drink it when you have your firstborn son. Wouldn't you drink it when the firstborn son of heaven gets up out of the ground forever? Oh, 
and it's good. It's so good. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Easter is a party. It is a celebration. It is joy. It is happiness. It is unrestrained laughter. And because of that, we've prepared hors d'oeuvres for everybody who's here this morning. If we can have the servers come on in. Come on in, come on in. Everybody give them a nice round of applause. Some of you who have never been here might be thinking, what in heaven's name is going on? Here's what's going to happen. We're going to take about five minutes because the room is full. It's going to take a minute. We're going to take about five minutes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you, yes, you, to get up out of your chairs and to come to these people around or come right up here at this table. I want you to grab a plate of hors d'oeuvres and I want you to grab a drink and I want you to go back to your seat because we're not going to start this until everybody has something appropriate to eat and drink. Go for it. All right, here's how I want to start this morning. I want to start with a quote from the great Christian writer, Frederick Beckner. This is what he says. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. And we've begun this morning's message with drinks and hors d'oeuvres because it's the beginning of a party. That's what Easter is. We here at the Vineyard have supplied the first taste to a meal that God has prepared for all of creation. And as you take these delicious little bits into your mouths this morning, know this. That resurrection and victory and the love of God, they are not intellectual curiosities. They are not nice little thoughts sprinkled upon a cruel world. They are substance. They are morsels that fills our mouths and our hearts. One of the main disservices that theology and that the church has done to the world with its message is that we have reduced everything about God and everything about Jesus and everything about resurrection and the life of a disciple down to Thoughts that we merely hold into our heads rather than the substance of what it really is. That's why Jesus, when he, when he was at his last supper meal with his disciples, he instituted that communion meal. And the communion meal is not an idea. It is substance. It is bread and it is wine. The love of God is not an idea. The resurrection is not an idea. The resurrection is substance. It is something you can sink your teeth into and something you can wash down your gullet. It is real. And it's a party. It is a party. And our text this morning says as much. Here's our text this morning. This is Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. And I would also like to say pastorally, thanks for reading along with me this week. How many of y'all read along with me through the gospel of Matthew? Listen, I got private messages, text messages, and public messages from you guys. That was awesome. We may have to do that again some. Just read the Bible together as a church. That was wonderful. Here's the text for this morning because we want to finish up with what we have not read yet together. First 10 verses. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, you can underline that, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. I'd also like to say that I feel like the other Mary got ripped off there. (laughs) Come on, Matthew. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and he sat on it. I like to imagine that he sat like this. And his face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Like those goats that fall over. (laughs) 
the YouTube goats. I meant to get a picture of those and forgot. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they ran to him and they grasped his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Our text this morning begins like this. Matthew says early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. And that's the perfect way to frame resurrection because that's what resurrection really is. Resurrection is a brand new day. It is a brand new start. That's how Matthew begins. Jesus has been raised. And while the Son of God was coming out of tomb, the Son of our solar system was rising from its celestial sleep. That's what resurrection is. It's a brand new start. It's a brand new day. And if you've ever had a terrible day, or if you've ever had a terrible season, or if you have been unfortunate enough to have a terrible string of seasons back to back to back, the one thing you could really use as a do-over. Sometimes in junior league soccer, when little kids make a bad throw in, or accidentally break some relatively minor rule, they give that kid a do-over. I remember when I was first learning the guitar, I took lots of do-overs. And what we give out to minor offenses and little kids in soccer leagues, God has done for all the offenses for all the cosmos. That's what resurrection is. It is the dawn of a brand new day. The resurrection of Jesus is a great, big, giant do-over. If you've ever been drunk, if you ever cheated on your taxes, if you were ever unfaithful to your spouse, if you ever did inhale, and some people here did, have, are, If you're a backbiter, if you talk bad about everyone else to numb your own dissatisfaction with yourself, or if you're just depressed, if you've got an eating disorder, if fear and self-loathing make all of your decisions, if you dropped out of high school and that wasn't even the dumbest thing you did, good news. There's a second chance for you. You don't have to stay that way. The Son of God has risen just like the sun rose this morning. And the only power those things still have over you is the power that you and I give them. This doesn't mean that the rest of your life or my life will be a cakewalk. But it does mean that there's good news. There's another chance. That's what resurrection is. It's a giant do-over. And the do-over comes when everybody was broken-hearted. Right in the middle of the pain, right in the middle of the disappointment, 
God breaks through and Jesus is more than we ever thought he was. That's the surprise of resurrection. For three, three and a half years, 12 guys and a handful of women followed Jesus around. And they saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him cleanse the lepers. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him multiply food. And after three and a half years of seeing all of that, those people thought that they knew him pretty well. But at the end of three and a half years, Jesus had one more rabbit to pull out of the hat. And it was his own dead body. This is also good news because what this means is no matter how long you follow Jesus, there's always the opportunity to know something about him more. There's always the opportunity to be led deeper into his heart. There's always the opportunity to be surprised by God. We never become experts with Jesus. We never become insulated from the joy. We never become insulated to the surprise. We never become insulated from the drama. We never become experts. We never really know what he's up to because resurrection always says there's something more. And let me tell you right now, the something more isn't just something that happened then. It is something that it continues to happen because resurrection is this great tidal wave that is sweeping over the cosmos. It has begun to hit the earth, but it has not hit the earth yet like it will one day. There's room. See, this makes me happy. See, in some, in some religions, it's a closed system. And it might even be a good closed system. I, I'm not saying that, some, that other religions don't have some beneficial things to, to say and to offer the world. I mean, I know some Christians want to frame it like that. But I, some of the best people I've ever met in the world are Buddhists, right? I'm just saying that the most compelling story is the Son of God who has gotten up and that resurrection is going to wrap wrap the entire cosmos. It is a way more open universe. There are more open possibilities. And because things are more open and less closed, that means the possibility for joy, not just joy now, but joy ongoing exists. And that makes me extremely happy because I'm a curious person who oftentimes gets bored. Let's just call it like it is. The more is resurrection. That's what resurrection is all about. A future that we never fully anticipated. Being led into being and doing something you never thought you would be or do. And so right now, church, if you're in the dark, any part of you, if you are broken, any part of you, if you are powerless, any part of you, don't lose heart. Because on the other side of failure and death and defeat is resurrection. Now, the story that we've read this morning... The passage that I chose out of Matthew this morning, I hope you noticed that it is filled with girl power. It's wonderful. It's filled with girl power. Who, 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 who first hears the good news of resurrection? The girls. It's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. In heaven, you're going to meet her and it's... Her first name is Other, and her last name is Mary. Other Mary. This is no small thing, by the way. The first people who receive the good news of the gospel are the girls. Not only that, but the first apostles are the girls. We oftentimes locate and isolate apostleship to the guys, as though it were those 12 guys. Well, but, but apostle means sent one. And who were the first ones who were sent? It was the girls. Hate to break it to you guys. It was the girls. And the girls were sent to the guys. The first people to evangelize were the girls. And the first people to hear other people evangelize were the guys. This is girl power. 
I want to talk about this for a second. This is extraordinary because giving women a prominent position in the telling of the story doesn't make the story in a first century way extra believable because in the first century, a woman's testimony essentially meant nothing. So the fact that Matthew includes this bit and doesn't just include the bit, but makes a center of the story, a central piece of the story, women's testimony and women's position and women, women's sight and women's uh, being there, such a, such a key part of the story. The fact that Matthew does this for me makes it even more believable, right? Because Matthew is doing something that in the, in the short term doesn't help the story and doesn't help his case, but in the wider sense absolutely does. The only reason Matthew would have included in the story Mary and the other Mary is because it actually happened and it actually happened like that. If it were you or if it were I, if we were going to make up a story, if we were going to, if we were going to invent the resurrection of Jesus, the one thing that you and I would do is that we would put boys in the story and we would exclude the girls. But if God is including and if Matthew is including the girls then one thing you can do and know for sure is that it actually happened and it's real I think this is awesome Matthew places women at the tomb and here's the deal the reason that he places women at the tomb is because in many ways it is how he begins this resurrection story it is to double down and it is to put in flesh and bone the reality that it is a brand new day. It's a brand new day for the whole cosmos, and it's a brand new day, firstly, not just for Jesus, but for women. For women. The prominence of women is not just a tip of hat, a tip of the hand to the truth, but it's also reinforcing the fact that it's a brand new day. The entire world has become reborn, and that includes women. It's why here at the Vineyard, we don't hold any position away from women. It's why here at the Vineyard, we don't allow women to preach. We cherish it when they preach. You know, some traditions get all uptight when women preach. I just want to tell you right now, if the very first evangelists, if the very first apostles, if the very first hearers and terrors, tellers of the good news are women, I want it at my church. And, it's, and it reinforces, again, that it's a brand new day. And then number three, and this is what I really wanted to get to this morning, the way the gospel comes to Mary and the other Mary highlights that there is a profound difference between being there and wanting to be there. That's what we see in this story. How many of you understand that when the angel came and gave Mary Magdalene and the other Mary the good news of Jesus' resurrection, that they weren't the only people at the tomb? Right? Who else was there? The guards. And the guards were guys. Right? Right? Part of what this story is telling us is that there's a difference between being there and wanting to be there. At the resurrection tomb, where the angels spoke words from heaven, Mary and Mary came, and they came because they were looking for Jesus, and they came looking for Jesus because they wanted to be there, but also there were guards there, and the guards were there for one main reason. They were there out of obligation and duty and because their paycheck depended upon it. And what happens to the guards? When the angel shows up and speaks the words from heaven, the guards fall over as dead. And even though it's still scary for Mary and Mary, they actually receive and run with the good news. See, there's something about a soul that's on pilgrimage. There's something about a person who is, for the sake of love, putting themselves out there. There's something about a searching heart. The guards fell dead from fear, but the girls also afraid. 
but for the sake of love, were able to still hear the words and see the tomb and run with the message. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. If you go looking for Jesus, you will find him. If you get locked in by duty and obligation, you will only end up scared and bewildered. And some of us here this morning, we are here because we have a love and we have an affection for Jesus. Some of us here are not sure if we have a love and an affection for Jesus, but we are searching. We are looking for something more. You're on the right track. And some of us here are only here out of duty and obligation because your grandmama made you come or because your mama made you come or because your dad grabbed you and said, you will get up this morning and you will go to the vineyard. And here's the deal. That's all good and well. Jesus ain't angry. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this, that when the Holy Spirit moves and when God comes in the room and when heaven speaks, if you're only here, if you're only a part of Christian community, if your only attachment to Jesus is duty and obligation, you will leave bewildered only. There's a difference between being here and wanting to be here. The searching heart is never far from faith. It takes faith to see and not faint. It takes faith to believe and tell. It takes faith to receive such an unbelievable word. It is possible to own something. It is possible to know something and yet still not know it. How many of you understand that you could own a farm? That you could own a great stretch of land? You could own thousands of acres. You could own a 5,000 acre ranch in Texas. And you could have cattle on that ranch. And your family could own that ranch for generations. And you could successfully run a cattle operation. You could have longhorns. You could eat steak for every single meal. Your family could prosper. You could become rich. You could become a land baron. You could become a cattle mogul. You could become a Texas guy with a giant belt buckle and some really fancy ostrich skin boots. You could have your own episode of Dallas. You could... How many of you know that you could own 5,000 acres in Texas and you could run cattle on it and you could miss the fact that underneath your feet was oil and gas and you could trade some money for lots of money? How do you find out if there's oil and gas beneath your feet? You go looking for it. The point of this story, one of the points of this story is that you basically find what you're looking for. And everybody who goes looking for Jesus finds them. And everybody who shows up out of obligation can end up with an angelic encounter and go home unconvinced. I'll just be honest with you. One of the prayers of my heart, one of the prayers of my heart for my own life is to never become satisfied with the Jesus I know, but to keep pressing because I know there's always more of Him. Not only that, but young people often look for spouses. And when young people look for spouses, they often look towards outward appearance. And, in when, and when you look for a spouse based solely on outward appearance, guess what you will find? You will find a beautiful woman. And you will find a handsome man. And in 20 years, gravity will work on their face. And in 40 years, they will, de- be, they will be disfigured. <laughs> and you better hope that in those decades, you find something else besides beauty on the outside. Because it's going to take more than what's right here to keep you together. You find what you're looking for. 
everybody who goes looking for Jesus will find him. And after these two ladies get a word from heaven, and after these two ladies get directions, the Bible says that they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. That's resurrection, if I've ever heard it. Resurrection is a collision of emotions. And the emotions represent two very different worlds. One world where dead people do not get up. And another world where apparently they do. One world where we are bummed and overcome with grief and frightened. And then another world where we are baptized with joy and excitement. See, here's the thing, church. We are headed towards a time when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. That's what Revelation chapter 21 says. However, right now, we live in between. We in the vineyard call it the now and the not yet. Resurrection is a party. Resurrection is champagne for breakfast. Resurrection is unapologetic laughter. It is dancing. It is Prince Pharrell and the Sundays all wrapped up into one concert. But that does not mean that the rest of your lives are going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you won't cry or deal deal with fear ever again. There will oftentimes be competing emotions. And the fact that there are competing emotions or even competing life experiences doesn't invalidate the truth of what God is doing and has done for you. Just because your life isn't totally filled with joy, just because joy isn't the only way that you would describe your life, just because there is a residue of anxiety, and just because at times we are filled with fear, and just because at times we are dissatisfied, and just because you sometimes pray and you don't get the answer you are looking for, it does not mean that resurrection isn't already beginning to overshadow you and overtake you. It is called the now and the not yet. We live in between. This is why Paul writes in Romans 8, 35 and 36, he says, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? The answer is no. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 36. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Resurrection days mean running scared. It's exhilaration sprinkled with a little fear. That doesn't mean that we embrace our fears either. That's dumb. Don't do that. Rather, it means that if you are afraid, or if you are depressed, or if you're taking a Paxil, or if you are anxious, or you have any other negative emotion, it means that we don't let those emotions have control or call the shots. It's totally acceptable to be afraid. It is unacceptable to let your fear call the shots for you. It is unacceptable for anxiety, fear, depression, or any other negative emotion to keep you or I from obeying Jesus and living out our call in Him. It means that we run and we run with joy. And we leave anxiety in the dust. I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says. You know, the lady who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. You didn't know that I was going to quote her this morning, did you? I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says. says, She says this about the creative process. She She says, fear doesn't get to drive. She says, it can ride in the car, but it has to ride in the back seat. It cannot touch the steering wheel, and it does not get to pick the music. She's describing resurrection. She's describing everyone whose heart is on pilgrimage with Jesus. 
All of us who feel like there's a bit of mixture left on the inside of us. Do you feel like there's mixture on the inside of you? Because I do. Like, man, I like I, half the time I feel like I'm the most convinced unconvinced. I am, I am like laughing hysterically and crying my eyes out. I mean, it is, it is this collision of like the now and the not yet, the now and the not yet, the now and the not yet. And I don't know why, but you know, like this week, even in my own family, we just had like some of the most, the most cool stuff, you know? And it wasn't even like groundbreaking stuff. It was just, it was just like family cool stuff, you know, like the kids are being sweet and everybody's getting good grades and, and you know, my kids are scoring at the soccer games. It was that, but then, but when you put it all together, there's this harmony that exists around it, you know? And some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, this is so right. You know what I mean? And as a father, you go to bed and you're just like, yes, I'm just, I feel fulfilled in my heart and I've got joy. And then at the same time, you know, we got terrorists blowing people up in in Belgium, right? And it, and it breaks my heart. And not only that, but then I learned yesterday, and I don't know why this pricked me so hard, but it did prick me really hard. Uh, yesterday I learned that there was, that, that part of the, two of the people who died in Belgium last week, they were, a, they were a couple from Lexington. You know, the world is so small. Like, like how do you put these two things together? Well, you just do. That, that's what, that's, this is the resurrected life. It's not as though, like right here and right now, that everything is, 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 is perfect in our hands. It's, it's, it is that God is doing something, and where we feel like there is lack, or where it feels like there is nothing being done, we can hold out hope, because, because it is going to get swallowed up in that great tidal wave that's going to hit the cosmos. It is yet coming. There is a wave that is going to come, and it is going to wash away every ounce of pain, every tear, and anything than any terrorist ever did or every bit of brokenness in our families or all the ways that your dad was a jerk or all the ways that your mom was a pill-popping crazy who slept your childhood away, God is going to gather all of that up into himself. And if there's some, con- if there's some competing stuff in your heart, you don't have to lose heart and you don't have to feel as though your joy is invalidated because there's still some pain there. It is not invalidated. Sometimes we get all self-defeated because our experience or our emotions or our responses don't perfectly match the biblical witness or some other super-Christian in our life. That's okay. You've got Bible for that now. Matthew chapter 28. The two Marys who run filled with joy and very afraid. And by the way, the girls who run with joy and who are afraid, they didn't screw anything up. Have you noticed that? It totally worked out. And you know how we you know how we know that it worked out? We are here. Like in some ways, you and I here in this little room right now this morning and all the other Christians who have uh, come to Jesus this this morning and celebrated his resurrection, all of us together this morning, we are extensions of their muddled faith. We are an extension of their joy, their excitement, their obedience mixed with their fear. We're here. It worked. God is better than we think He is. And then finally this morning, the text shows us that if you keep going, you eventually meet Jesus. Can you imagine starting your day at an empty tomb? And then a few moments later, meeting the resurrected Lord, falling at His feet, 
said they fought. They says that the Bible says that they fell at his feet and they worshipped him. Oh, to fall at those feet in worship. Imagine grabbing his feet and seeing his scars. Right? That's what worship does, by the way. It's the reason we make such a big deal of it here at the vineyard. Worship brings us into contact with the intimate details of Jesus' life, his pain, his suffering, and his victory. That's why we worship. Because we get to come close. We get to come really close. We get to come as close as Mary and Mary to the feet of Jesus. Those feet that contain his scars, which are a sign of his pain, the intimate details of his life, and his victory. You want to know what a worshiper is? It's somebody who's coming to Jesus in that way. And by the way, when you come to Jesus, when your heart is on pilgrimage, when you've searched for him, you will find him. And everybody who finds Jesus becomes this worshiper. And when you become a worshiper, Jesus raises you up and then he sends you out into the world. Isn't that right? Jesus raises those two girls up and he says, hey, listen, go, go get the boys and tell them to meet me in Galilee. See, here's the thing. Worship is a catalyst for this evangelistic good news call that God has placed upon everyone. If you read the New Testament, the one thing you will not find is you will not find the gift of evangelism. There is no such thing as the gift of evangelism. Evangelism is a call that God has spread equally and liberally among all of his children. It is the simple call to pick up the good news that Jesus is alive and to go and tell someone, to go share that with the world. And if not the whole world, then at least your world. Everybody here. This is part of what we're called to do. But we may not enter into that until we become men and women who are searching for Jesus and who are willing to fall at his feet and worship him. At the same time, if you're a person who's falling at, his, at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him, but you never have something to share with other people, that should be a pause for us. Jesus never lets us just come and lift our hands here at the vineyard. He never just lets us come and lift our hands here at the vineyard and sing Him a good tune. There's always something outward. The gospel call is never just about what God has done for me. It's always about what God is doing for us. It's always plural. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We cannot overly individualize what Jesus has made permanently plural. It's even in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Not my daily bread, our daily bread. It's not my good news, it's our good news. It's not that I don't have to go to hell, it's that hell doesn't have to touch any of us. And when we fall at the feet of the one who has been risen, he raises us up and he sends us out into the world. This is what our search does. It ultimately leads us back out into the world. The new day, the new day of resurrection is something that must be shared. You guys remember that little story in the Bible about how Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves? Pretty impressive miracle, right? A couple fish, a couple loaves. At least 5,000 men, which means there could be up to 20,000 people out in the desert, wilderness. And that's all the food they have. But it says that Jesus multiplied that bread and everybody ate as much as they wanted. And when it was over, there were 12 basketfuls that remained. One for each disciple, right? It was this little living parable. Jesus wanted each one of those disciples who didn't think that there was enough to have to go home carrying not enough. 
That's how Jesus works anyway. But I have a question for you. When did the miracle of multiplication happen? The miracle of multiplication happened when people started sharing it. Jesus broke the bread, handed it out. Here you go, Peter. Go take it over there. Peter would break it and hand it, break it and hand it. Somehow in the breaking and the handing, there was just more, right? Tear the fish head off and give it to somebody. Another fish head. Filet. Cheeks. Have you ever eaten a fish cheek? Like on a big big fish? It's the best part. The best bite is right here, y'all. I'm telling you. If you go to a restaurant that'll cook you a red snapper, you know one of those red snappers that's about this big? Eventually, everybody here needs to go to a restaurant that will cook you an entire red snapper, head, eyes, tail, and all. Right here. Peter hands the fish. Cheeks, fillets, head. Cheeks, fillets, head. The miracle is in the sharing. The miracle is in the sharing. And when it comes to the gospel, and then when it comes to the good news, and then when it comes to the dawn of the new day made by the resurrection, here's what I would like to say. I would like to say that the world is still hungry, not because there is too little bread, but because there is too little sharing. Everybody here, listen, y'all. Everybody here. Some of us are like, man, I'm scared. I'm scared to share about how, who Jesus is and what he's been to me. Listen, that's okay. So were these ladies. They were totally scared. But, there's, but, their, but their fear and their scaredness wasn't driving the boat. That's part of the gospel story. That's part of the resurrection story. It's that you can be afraid, but fear doesn't get to drive and fear doesn't get to pick the music. We pick it up. The world is still hungry, not because there's too little bread, but because there's too little sharing. It's a new day, church. The sun is risen. We should rejoice. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we have the band come back up? Because this is going to be our benediction this morning. We're going to sing the loudest song you have heard at the Vineyard in a year. <laughs> yeah, we are. If you thought the first part was loud, you wait till this next part. It's way louder. And while they're coming, while they're coming, I want to say this. That none of what I've been sharing this morning works at all if you don't know Jesus. Like if you don't, walk, if you don't follow Jesus and you don't know Jesus and you haven't, you haven't become his disciple, then everything I've shared with you up to this point is meaningless. So I want to take a minute while they're tuning and they're putting monitors in their ears. And I want to just give us a, a, a moment here to do this little bit of business. Is there anybody here who has never decided to walk or follow, with G, follow Jesus for real in your life? If, if you've never made that decision, why don't you do this? Why don't you just stand up right where you are? We want, to, we want to celebrate with you, but we want to give people an opportunity to meet and know the Lord today. Is there anybody here you have never walked with Jesus? You've never become his disciple. Maybe your grandmama took you to church, but it was never personal to you. Maybe it was a decision that somebody else made for you, but it was never personal to you. If that's you in this room this morning, would you just stand up right where you're at? And I know it's a little awkward. That's okay. It's actually not. I know it could feel awkward. I'm standing up. Anybody here who needs to meet Jesus this morning? Here's why I have people stand up. 
I had people stand up because it's important for us to connect what we believe in our heads and what we feel in our hearts with our actual bodies. Because if you don't do that, sometimes you could end up leaving later on. And maybe you did something with Jesus. Maybe you made some sort of an exchange, some sort of an internal exchange. But then later on, you're like, I don't know. Did I really do that? Did I really? Standing up is a marker. You can go, I, I stood up. Is there anybody here who just needs to begin to walk with Jesus this morning? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Why don't everybody stand up? We're going to sing our benediction this morning. And you should lift up your voices as loud as they will go. Sound of 
benediction this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Happy Easter. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.